Now in London, uh, I knew someone who was really struggling to find their purpose in life. Uh, nothing seemed to really go right for him. His work situation was difficult and challenging. He longed for a relationship and it just wasn't working out. He had troubles with his family. There were lots of challenges, lots of ways he was struggling and suffering. And at one point he said to me, I just feel like God isn't holding up his end of the bargain. I wonder if you've ever had a similar feeling to that. Uh, we all have kind of hopes and dreams, don't we, for our lives? Uh, things that, that, we, that we long to, to see happen. And it's hard when they don't. We long to have a, a fit and healthy family. And it's hard if, if we've got family members struggling with their health. We long for our children to, to come to know the Lord Jesus themselves. That's really hard when, when that doesn't happen. It's hard when we want to sort of forge a path forward in our career and we, it doesn't happen for whatever reason, maybe because of our faith. Maybe with Valentine's Day coming up tomorrow, you're, you're feeling that, that desire for a relationship and the struggle. What, why hasn't that happened for me? And maybe for those of us who are married, it's more a case of actually, I'd love to see my marriage improving and growing in some ways. Why isn't it, why isn't it uh, as perfect as I imagined it would be? There's lots of things that, that, that we find difficult. Those are just a few examples. Things that we find hard. Things that we, that we suffer. And when they don't go the way we hope, do we end up thinking, well, why is God letting this happen? Is he really working for our good when things seem to get worse rather than get better? We've been doing all the right things. We're following Jesus. We're, we're sharing our faith with those around us. And yet everything just seems to be against us. Things getting worse. It doesn't make sense. Maybe that describes how you're feeling at the minute, or maybe you've felt that at some point in your life. And we just wonder, don't we, where do we turn when it feels like God has let us down? Well, as we reach chapter 5 of Exodus, we see something similar happening with God's people here. Uh, and actually their reaction reveals something really powerful uh, and helpful for us too. It reveals what's going on in their hearts. Hopefully it'll be something that, that speaks to us this afternoon. If you've been here the last few weeks, we've been uh, going through uh, Exodus chapter by chapter, uh, and we've seen the Israelites suffering greatly in this slavery in Egypt. God has uh, then called Moses to be his prophet, to go to, to Pharaoh and say, uh, basically to, to, to let the Israelites go, send them out of Egypt. But last week, if you were here, remember we were looking at just how fearful and how hesitant Moses really was. He didn't want the job. He didn't want to do it. And God uh, encouraged him and provided all that he needed uh, and sent even someone to speak for him, his brother Aaron. And at the end of chapter 4, you, if you look back there, look at verses 29 through to 31, you see that they, they go to Egypt and they get the, the kind of uh, elders of the people together and they tell them all this message from God and they're, they're so happy that they worship and they bow down. Uh, because they realised God was coming to rescue them. But now, chapter 5 is the time where the plan is actually put into action. Uh, it's time to go and visit Pharaoh. It's time to start the Exodus properly. And it doesn't quite go as they planned. Uh, so let's look through, we'll look through the passage. Here's my first heading. Things go from bad to worse for God's people. Things go from bad to worse for God's people. If you look at the, if you look at verse one, you'll see they, they go to Pharaoh and they ask him and they pass on the message from God uh, and they say, actually, would you would you uh, let us go and worship in the wilderness? 
It seems a bit strange, doesn't it? Because if you look at verse 3, it says they ask for a three-day journey, basically a three-day holiday to go and worship God. Now, on the face of it, that seems quite deceitful, doesn't it? Because we know that God was saying, no, we're going to take Israel, Israel are leaving Egypt completely. It's not just a three-day thing. Uh, but actually, what they were doing is kind of followed the typical culture in the ancient Near East. Uh, what they would do was kind of uh, ask something quite restrained, quite gently. Uh, but the implication was that actually it was something much bigger. Uh, so, so, I don't know, uh, for us today, if you said to someone, hand me the remote, what you're really saying is, I want to, I want to be in control of what we watch on TV tonight. Uh, or if you say, have you got the keys to the car? You're not, you, what you're really saying is, I need the car, I'm going to have it for the next few hours, no one else uh, can use it. Or maybe, have you got a second? You don't mean that literally, do you? You mean, have someone got some time to actually, you know, listen to me and, and, and talk or something like that? It, it's that kind of idea. It's, a, it's asking for something small, but the understanding was it was much bigger. And you see Pharaoh kind of understood that. He understood that really what they were saying was that they wanted Israel to leave for as long as they wanted and that's why he reacts so strongly. Look at verse 2. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Remember, in chapter 3, Moses asks for God's name. And God talks uh, about his name, the great I Am. Uh, and it's such a significant moment to understand who they worshipped, who they followed, who was going to rescue them. But now that name means absolutely nothing to Pharaoh. Yet. We'll see by the end. He'll, he'll understand a lot more. But you just get this tone from Pharaoh. This just lack of caring. He, he doesn't want to listen. Why, why should I? I don't know who this, who this Yahweh character is. Well, why would I, on earth would I do what he says? He's very unimpressed with their... Uh, uh, requ- he's unimpressed by their request. And so he sends them off. Uh, and refuses... But he goes much beyond that, doesn't he? Uh, it's, it's almost as if he's saying, "Look, if you've got the if you've got the time to come and ask for that, then clearly you're not working hard enough." Uh, and so he sort of doubles down. He, he breaks their spirits further. In verse six, he, he he talks about how they will get no more straw. Now that is going to make it much harder to make the bricks. They would have mixed mud and, uh, or clay together with with the straw, and sometimes with sand, dried them in the sun, and hardened them uh, to, to make bricks. Uh, and as uh, Peter illustrated earlier, it, it is as if they as if they would be blindfolded, wearing gloves. Like it would have made it absolutely impossible to do. But but Pharaoh is very stubborn. Verse nine, he talks about how he's just talking about. He sees that these are just the lies. He calls them God's lies. Pay no attention to these lies. He he is the mighty one. He's the mighty Pharaoh of all of Egypt. He's got, you know, faith in their system of all all their gods. He says, pay no attention to the lies of these foreigners. He has complete disregard for God, for his messenger. And ultimately, he's trying to divide them by making it harder and and making them suffer. Now, like I said, it's inevitable really, isn't it? They're not going to be able to produce the same amount uh, without the straw for them. Uh, So much extra labor for them. In fact, they, they had to go and gather the stubble. It's not like they could even just, you know, go and find a big, big bales of straw somewhere. They were going through the fields, taking up just all the little bits that were left. That back-breaking labour. And ultimately, of course, it, they, they can't build, they can't make enough bricks. They are beaten, the, the foreman, the, the overseers are beaten 
by the slave drivers. And you just get this sense, don't you? Moses had turned up and said this message from God, and everyone was so excited. But instead, it just got much, much worse for them. They couldn't believe why this was happening. And they go to Pharaoh, verse 15. They say, why are you treating us like this? Can't you, you know, we can't do what you're asking us to do. And Pharaoh just scoffs at them and says, you're lazy. Verse 17, lazy. So that's why you keep asking uh, to, to go and worship and sacrifice to the Lord. In other words, it's because of what Moses and Aaron came and asked. This is why that's happened. They leave. Look at verse 20. This is what happens when they realize uh, what's caused this trouble. Verse 20. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people. And you have not rescued your people at all. It's quite a change, isn't it, from the end of chapter 4, where they're bowing down and they're worshipping and rejoicing. Now they're calling judgment on Moses because of how things have got worse for them. It does reveal something of what's going on in their hearts, doesn't it? When they're promised blessing and they're promised good things, they're excited, they're happy to worship. But when they realise they're in trouble, when they realise they're suffering, they're very quick to, to, to complain and to despair. And clearly they're not really trusting God. And Moses too was really deeply discouraged by this. You haven't rescued your people at all, is what he says to God. He's, he's been told by God all that's going to happen, and yet that's still his immediate reaction. He wasn't expecting these setbacks. He wasn't expecting this suffering. Maybe he wasn't really trusting God on that deeper level. So it really, as a whole, they just respond saying, why, why have you let this happen to us, God? Well, I wonder if that feels familiar to yourself. Maybe we've been in similar situations and we've reacted in similar ways. How do we react? How do we react when life is hard? When we struggle, when we suffer, when we don't know why something has been allowed to happen for us and it feels like, how could it possibly be a good thing for me? It's one of the biggest questions, isn't it? Why does God allow suffering? It's a big question for, for all of us, I'm sure. And as I was preparing, I was struggling to kind of know what to say, really, because often the, the answers that, that we hear are not really very satisfying deep down. I was going to talk, you know, we can talk about how we live in a fallen world. We know that we, have, we, we face the consequences, the effects of sin in our lives, in the world. We, that's why we suffer. The world is corrupted. Uh, and we can talk about how actually the, the Bible teaches that, that we should expect persecution and suffering as Christians. As we follow Jesus, the world turns against us. But I just felt myself kind of empathising with the Israelites here. Do you feel the suffering they're going through? And it literally is for them the last straw. They, they cannot go on. How could they possibly keep enduring this suffering, enduring this trial? And in some sense, you think, well, of course they're going to react like that, aren't they? Of course they're going to cry out in despair. And maybe that sometimes that just feels like the case for us too. When suffering in our lives, when it's so awful and it's so horrible, and we, we can't ignore it, we can't uh, brush it away, we, we want answers that satisfy us deep down. 
we get a sense that we that suffering is not right, but we, we it's hard to understand. But at the same time, I, I don't think this passage is here setting us a good example. We're not meant to come to this passage and say, ah, okay, that's what you do when we suffer. You're supposed to, to stop worshipping and start complaining that this isn't what uh, it's supposed to be like when we follow God. It's very clear, isn't it? That's not what we're called to do here. So what are we called to do? We're not supposed to be like Moses, just immediately despairing. Well, the, 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 the first half of chapter 6 helps us understand, it helps unlock perhaps some of the answers that, that we should be seeking uh, for these questions. Uh, and it's pretty simple. Here's, here's my heading. God's people need to know who God is. They need to know who God is. Just notice that actually that God doesn't respond directly to all of their, their complaints and all the, the, the bits of those. Or Moses is grumbling and despair. He doesn't explain every detail of why they're suffering. Why don't we look at what he does say instead? Let's look through these verses. Let's look at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. He starts saying that Pharaoh is not going to get away with this. He thinks he is mighty. But actually, God is the one who is mighty. Deliverance is coming. God will stretch out his hands uh, and break Egypt. Verse 2, God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenants. I am the Lord. That's how he starts. starts it. It's a refrain throughout this section. It's his special name. Remember, the great I am, showing his commitment to his people. He says, I've been there for your ancestors, for, for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It does seem a bit strange when he says... But, you know, I wasn't known as the Lord uh, in verse 3. There's a, a question about the translation there. It could, it could well be a question saying, actually, did I not make myself known as, as, as the Lord to them? Uh, saying, I, I did. Because if you go to Genesis, you see that the capital letters Lord is used uh, in Genesis already. But maybe it's just a sense that actually this is, this is something new, a new depth of meaning to God's name. It's going to be happening in the Exodus. But he made a, a covenant promise. He is a covenant-keeping God. He has no intention of, of breaking those promises. And you see, he responds to the suffering of his people. Yes, it's a slightly different time scale, different expectations. But they have no need to doubt, because when God makes a covenant, there is no, uh, no changing that. He will keep his promises. Verse 6, these, these verses are really crucial. Have a look at verse 6. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand, to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. 
I am the Lord's. There's great confidence in what's about to happen, isn't there? And there's a key word there that he is the redeemer. He's a redeeming God. I just love it. He says, I will do this. I will bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you. The Israelites, no, sorry, the, the Egyptians will be judged and you will be rescued and you'll be saved. Not because you deserve it, but because you're mine. That's what we see as well, don't we? That he is a personal God. Verse 7. Uh, it's so so crucial to, to the, the picture of the Bible. I will take you as my own people and I will be your gods. That is, if you just look through the Bible, you see that said again and again. That is a, a promise that, that God keeps repeatedly. And even, you get right to the end of the Bible, right in, in Revelation. Uh, and, and as, the new, you know, as the, the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven, it says, now God is living with his people. And that, that, that is, you just get the sense that right, even right back here in Exodus, it's pointing forward all the way to, to God being with us forever. But it happens over and over again that, 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 they will, that God will be with them. And when that happens, he says, you will know that I am the Lord's. You will know who I am. You will know what I've done for you. And he will do what he's promised. He, he promises uh, great future blessing, great provision for the land, the land of Canaan. Uh, he will provide for them. But did you see that the repetition of that, that uh, phrase, I am the Lord's. You need to know me. You need to know my name, God is saying. You need to know who I am. You need to know what I will do. He has felt the pain of their suffering and he is coming to act and he is coming to save. And this name, the name is a sign of that personal relationship that they have with God. It's an assurance of this special status that they have, a security. It's, it's an amazing statement. I think these verses are so critical. We see that, like I say, it gives us the big picture of the whole of the Bible. Pointing to to our need of rescue from sin and death. Pointing to us becoming his people. And that promise of eternal joy. It's an incredible message, isn't it? God's might and his covenants, promises, his redeeming power. His personal uh, relationship. the, The hope of future blessing and provision. What a message. Did you see how the people react? Look at verse 9. Let's see what, they, see what happens. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Since I speak with faltering lips. A really sad, kind of gutting reaction, isn't it? Just have this amazing picture of who God is, of what He's coming to do, and they're so discouraged, they're so worn out, they're so battered and bruised, they just refuse to listen. They cannot find that the hope that that God will, that God has for them. And Moses despairs as well. Says, "Look, they're not listening to me. Why on earth would Pharaoh listen to me?" The problem is they they didn't really know who God was. They didn't know what he was coming to do. And because of that, they couldn't trust God when they weren't sure why something was happening, why, why they were suffering, why his plans were not matching with their own plans. Well, let's think about what that might mean for us. Is that the case for yourself too? But when things don't go to plan, 
when things don't work out, when, when we suffer? Do we end up, is it just such a horrible place that we can't lift our eyes and look to God? We can fall into that pattern, but do you see what God's saying? We need to know more deeply who he is. We need to know who he is. When we struggle to trust him, when we struggle to obey and take his command seriously, it's not just that we need a bit more willpower and a bit more kind of energy in ourselves. We need to know far more deeply who he is in our hearts. If we are, if we are to trust God, friends, if we're to trust him in the midst of the, the, the most difficult moments in our life, we've got to know who he is. And when we do, when we really understand that, we can follow him at any cost. We can trust him, even when everything seems to have gone completely wrong. One of the commentators I was reading said this, every day, every new day is a day when you can live trusting God and obeying God. But you will only do that if you know he is the Lord. And if you know he is the Lord, then you will do that. See, we must know who he is before we respond. And the good news is that we're in a different situation to God's people in Israel. Because remember, in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their pain, God says, I will do this. The rescue was coming. But for us, in the midst of our suffering, God says, well, look at what I have already done. Look at what I've done already for you. We don't have to suffer without hope because we know what happened at the cross. This is, this is the ultimate sign, the ultimate sign that God keeps his promises. The ultimate moment of rescue, undeserving people being saved from the slavery of sin, from the eternal judgment of hell. When we look at the cross, we see that we do not need to fear anything. When we struggle to understand what's going on, why is God letting this happen in my life? When it's hard to trust him, when it's hard to know his goodness, when things get worse rather than better, we need to look to the cross. We need to look to the empty tomb. We need to remember that God is who he says he is, that he does keep his promises. Jesus suffered, Jesus died so that we could be free. We could be set free from sin. And he rose again so that we would have this great confidence. We'd never have to to fear what it means to follow him, whatever happens. He is alive, he is reigning. It seems like such a, a moment of huge defeat, doesn't it, at the cross? Here was the one claiming to be the, the promised Messiah, the promised saviour of the people. And there he is hanging on a cross, cursed without a, shed, a shred of dignity. He has suffered great physical trauma, emotional and spiritual, uh, just, just despair. It seemed like such a weak moment of, of loss. No, it was a moment of great victory. A moment of true salvation, a moment of true rescue for those who trust in Jesus. So when you're doubting God's plans, when you're wondering why you're struggling and why you're suffering, you look to the cross and see how actually God brings triumph from what looks like defeat. And it's also a moment of of great redemption. Remember that that key word in verse 6, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. That again, we see that fulfilled at the cross. He will redeem us with an outstretched arm. His arms are stretched out on that cruel cross. And the mighty act of judgment didn't fall on God's enemies, it fell on God's Son. 
so that we can be saved, so that we can be redeemed and brought back and given new life. What hope that gives us, doesn't it? When we suffer, when we struggle, we look to the cross and we see actually Jesus, God himself, bearing that judgment to, to, to give us new life, to give us hope. The cross is how we know what God is like. The cross is how we know God the most deeply. It's his moment of, of such clear love shown to us. The sacrifice, the, 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 the care. He is the Lord. He is the great I am. And he chooses to love us. Sitting here in Kenilworth, thousands of years later, he chooses to love us. Jesus died on that cross to rescue us, despite what we deserve, nothing. He does that. That, I think, has to be the ultimate answer for, for when we struggle, when we doubt, when we suffer. We must remember who God is and what he has already done for us. A friend of mine uh, lost his mum when he was a teenager. And it's just hard to imagine the pain of going through that, isn't it? It's a horrible situation. If you're, if you're a teenager now, can you imagine going through that? It would be a, a truly awful, uh, awful pain, awful suffering. And yet, his faith was just a massive inspiration to me. Rather than kind of turn against God and reject, reject him and, you know, do what the Israelites did essentially and, and complain, it, something in him, it, it's just, it's like the experience of his suffering had drawn him really close to God. He had the depth of, of his, his relationship with God was just wonderful to see. He just knew that, that, that he really knew who God was, that he trusted God. They had this great confidence in God's plans, in God's purposes. And he was a living example to me, really, of what we've been considering this afternoon. That when we don't understand God's plans, when it doesn't seem to make sense and we go through trouble and suffering, that actually we need to draw near to him and he will draw near to us. We need to know him better, to know God's love and care for us more intimately. I think, you know, what I was talking about earlier, the kind of deeper, when we have those deep questions of why is God letting this happen to me? It takes time, I think, for us to really grasp that and understand that. Sometimes, you know, we can accept things in our head, but it doesn't sink in. But we can trust in the midst of those moments when it is really tough, because we know what length he's been to. He has been to the cross to save us, so that he could be our God's. So how are you feeling as we draw to a close? It's a challenging passage, isn't it? It's one that exposes our hearts, our, our, our tendency to, to, to complain or to react badly when we suffer. And yet God can speak to us through this and remind us of who he is and remind us that he has redeemed us. Let me encourage you, if you've never before come to him and, and seen his love for you, then you can come to him and follow him today. Come and pray with someone at the end of the service. And make that step. But there's there's something for us all to consider here, isn't there? What what is it that's kind of keeping us going? What what is propping up our faith? Is it a case of when things are going well and everything seems really good, that's when we're passionate and we're worshiping and we're obeying. But actually when things go badly, that's when we complain and struggle and question God and criticize him maybe because he hasn't done what we thought he should do. 
Sometimes we can love the blessings of God more than we love God himself. And what does that say about our faith and our trust? Do do we really trust him if that's the case? It's challenging for us to think about. And if if God is convicting you of these things this afternoon, convicting me too, to be honest, we need to look to the cross. We need to see again just how much God has loved us, how much he has committed to us. He gave his only son to make us part of his family. And we can find great security, great hope in that when the hard times come, when things are difficult. We can find great comfort. We can trust him because of all that he's done for us. He never, he will never ever let us go. What a glorious news that is. Let's worship him, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are here this afternoon listening to your word and you speaking through us and just reminding us what great news it is that that you care for us, that you think of us, that, that you know what we're going through, that you know when we suffer. Lord, would you forgive us when we are tempted to doubt that or question that or complain or grumble or or just feel deeply unhappy because you haven't let things go the way we expected or because we're suffering and we don't understand why. Lord, would you help us to know who you are? Would you remind us of all that you've, you've done for us in saving us and sending your son to the cross and, and the sacrifice of, of, of Jesus, all that, Lord. Please awaken that again in our hearts and, and give us fresh joy and fresh faith and trust in you as we turn to you. Please be at work in us, Lord. We, we, we need you to do that. We need you to come by your spirit to, to change us. We cannot do it on our own. But would you change? Yeah, would, would you be at work in us, helping us trust you more deeply, and more closely? Would you help us to draw near to you this week? In Jesus' name, amen.